Hey folks, uh, welcome to another edition of the Mental Health Podcast. Um, I have Anne here with me and, uh, and I can't wait for you guys to hear what she has to say. Um, <laughs> hey Anne, uh, how are things with you today? Hi Sanjay, I'm doing well, thank you, in the great state of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, good to know. And you know, the first thing that I ask people is to give themselves a a quick introduction so people understand uh, who you are and where you're coming from and sure. um, get a bit of insight about you as well. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. Um, thank you. Um, my name is Anne and I'm an Army veteran. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a clinically trained professional mental health chaplain. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say I'd also identify as an athlete and a woman of strong faith and convictions. Um, mm -hmm. Also, a lifelong learner and mm -hmm. a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I totally agree with the last <laughs> but part. But aren't we all? Like, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we're all on this journey where you know we're all learning something constantly. And the more interactions I have, the more um, I don't know, confident I get in terms of not feeling too uh, circumspect all the time, or not feeling out of place all the time. Because I feel like the more people know, they realize the more people, more things you don't know. So, <laughs> so um, um, yeah, um, you know. I, I think, you know, I've started off different conversations in different ways, but like, you know, one thing that's been common is like the topic of mental health itself. So, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit about like what does mental health mean to you and like what's your perspective on that as well? So, Sure. Yeah. Um, and thanks for the important questions and topics that you're covering. Yeah. So when I think about mental health and what that looks like, I define mental health about um, how one interacts in the world and their well-being in their social mm -hmm. interaction, as well as uh, feeling. And so I also, though, I would just add, I look at it from a whole health perspective. I, as a chaplain, also see this as the spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, I am, you know, also want to say that I understand that, you know, some people don't believe in a God or a higher power. Um, mm -hmm. But there are, are things out in the world that makes us feel connected, right? Mm -hmm. Or not. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about mental health, I think about it from a whole health perspective, mind, body, spirit, soul. And that kind of informs how I interact in the world and with others. Definitely. Um, yeah, th thank you for sharing that. And and like for people who don't understand what a chaplain is, can, can you talk a little bit about like, 
uh, what that means and like you know uh, 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 just trying to understand and explain better to so that people can get your perspective too so sure yeah so um chaplaincy or being a chaplain is a calling and mm -hmm. for um for those that you know of the christian faith um mm -hmm. such as myself you know we identify it as a calling by god right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. we offer spiritual and pastoral care now chaplain can be of any faith tradition and mm -hmm. we we offer that uh counseling and emotional support um mm -hmm. and pastoral care to individuals Often uh, we serve in pluralistic environments. And what I mean by that, you may, the word chaplaincy is used in environments like the hospital or the military, mm -hmm. uh, police mm -hmm. or fire departments, sports mm -hmm. universities, all sports events usually all have chaplains. And mm -hmm. so we really look at the existential things in life and mm -hmm. come along individuals and families and help them make meaning in the world mm -hmm. definitely um, you know today like with the pandemic um, and like you know uh, with people dealing with loss uh, the whole concept of um, existence and like um, aspects around what it means to um, deal with a certain things is a challenge so you know uh, from your own standpoint like you know ca can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and like through your experience and through your journey how that has sort of evolved as well so yes um so i think the best way to really uh talk about this point is when the pandemic hit i was actually living in california in santa clara county so you know santa mm -hmm. clara county was the first county in the in the nation to shut down mm -hmm. and um being there in what i would say the front lines of the pandemic and also working at the va hospital um there mm -hmm. in in palo alto during mm -hmm. this time um mm -hmm. was just life-changing Mm -hmm. it was um it was such a challenging time of being in the unknown mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. trying to make meaning not only as you know living in santa clara county but then also working at the first hospital the va hospital that had a covid uh positive veteran and mm -hmm. watching a whole healthcare system uh, come mm -hmm. together to prepare mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. unknown, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, it's going to probably take me maybe even a lifetime to run, really understand and for me personally to make meaning because not only was I a chaplain, but I was, you know, the chief chaplain during that time and mm -hmm. trying to turn an entire uh, chaplain service uh, department and mm -hmm. come alongside all of these interdisciplinary team members to provide care um, mm -hmm. was an extraordinary um, challenge. Mm -hmm. There were so many 
heroic efforts made mm-hmm. during that time mm-hmm. that what I did not see and anticipate, which I don't think many people did, was mm-hmm. how it was going to affect the different departments and that you would never expect, for instance, um, mm-hmm. you know, because family members and loved ones were not allowed to come in with the mm-hmm. veterans um, mm-hmm. or any of the community patients that we eventually received as well. Mm-hmm. I saw our uh, IT team mm-hmm. having to go in to these mm-hmm. hospital rooms and experience death and dying on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was so overwhelming for them to try to mm-hmm. make meaning that the uh, supervisor for that department actually came to me and a clinical psychologist and to put together a program so that we could try to help the employees uh, process that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I also experienced where, you know, I remember there was a, a hospice patient who was mm-hmm. deaf mute, right? And the family members are not there with this loved one and he's about to pass. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were using technology to connect through iPads and iPhones and laptops and telephones in any way that we could to try to connect mm-hmm. loved ones and patients to their friends and families on the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think that, you know, um, the importance of these conversations as, as you have them with other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from a mental health perspective is really capturing what the pandemic mean, meant for mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know, individually, you know, and collectively. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I say in that having just moved to Texas, you know, I found it um, interesting that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's mm-hmm. like Texas has been operating, you know, for a while, um, mm-hmm. even though the pandemic has, has not officially been over until recently, but it was mm-hmm. really uh, hard for me in the beginning to come from mm-hmm. California, which was mm-hmm. still very locked down and uh Mm-hmm. following strict protocols to the state of Texas where the culture is different, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been operating and fu- functioning fully as I see it for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you know, I think um, one thing that sort of people struggle um, today is understanding individual experiences right and you know this is one of the reasons why i started this podcast as well so that people can feel comfortable uh hearing from other perspectives hearing other people's stories as well and uh, i remember from our past conversation uh, your uh, story was really inspirational you know can you talk a little bit about your own personal story and like how you know you sort of went about uh you know becoming an army chaplain itself and like you know uh, give people some perspective uh 
uh, from that standpoint as well. So. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. So um, back in 2008, I was actually a bank manager in California. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the markets were starting to crash and things were going south. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw myself in, in a crisis mode because I did not have family in California. Um, mm -hmm. I had some friends, but um, at that time, um, not well-established relationships like I have now. Mm -hmm. And um, as the, the bank crisis was happening, you know, I was moved out of my big branch in South San Francisco to mm -hmm. a branch in a grocery store that was going to close within a year. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't even there a month when my boyfriend had um, broke up with me and mm -hmm. my brother-in-law was killed in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. So within this one month, I had all of these life experiences happen that were overwhelming. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had called my dear friend, Laura, uh, from high school, you know, that we'd been friends for years. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And so mm -hmm. Laura's wisdom, she's like, join mm -hmm. the military. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, right. you know, I, in my mind, it must have felt like the right thing to do because I thought I could learn new skill sets. You know, I'm in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. Um, at that time, I only had a bachelor's degree in nutrition. Um, mm -hmm. And it was time to reinvent myself. And run, mm -hmm. you know, which I didn't know that time. So I joined mm -hmm. um, the military, but not before I was rejected, I think, several times. And I actually joined the military at the age of 37. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I kept trying to get in and uh, the military, you know, well, first it was you're too old. And then it was, well, you can you can join if you pass the officer test. Well, I've been out of school a really long time. and mm -hmm. um, my i kept missing the the test by one point you know mm -hmm. i think that first time i think i missed it by six and the next two times i missed it by one point mm -hmm. um but but then president obama lift the age limit and so i went in on the enlisted side as a specialist for military police mm -hmm. um you know did my training came through came back to california um for mm -hmm. my advanced military police training mm -hmm. only to find a captain uh, mm -hmm. that met me at the yellow ribbon ceremony he hit me on the arm at the at the ceremony and said i want you as my officer mm -hmm. and i just kind of laughed and i was like uh yes sir well i also not long after that got orders to go to afghanistan mm -hmm. um the my commander's name at that is um captain frank he was captain franklin at that time and mm -hmm. he sat with me and had one of the most important conversations he mm -hmm. saw something in me that i did not see in myself and mm -hmm. that was the confidence to make it as an officer the confidence mm -hmm. to to uh, move forward in my life mm -hmm. and he just he just basically said and Mm -hmm. You've been out of school a long time. Mm -hmm. And he said, 
I will find you a paper version of the test and I guarantee you that you will pass. He said, you're about my age. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. At that time, too, I'm like 30, what, 38, 39 years mm-hmm. old. And he's like, I mm-hmm. will find you a paper version and I guarantee you will pass. Sure mm-hmm. enough, he did and I did. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was still had my orders, though, for Afghanistan. And, you know, he advocated for me, you know, from his perspective, and I advocated for myself. And I mm-hmm. actually got pulled from deployment and was mm-hmm. uh, preparing to go to officer school for military police. Mm-hmm. Um, the National Guard has a program that uh, they train you um, months ahead of time before you go to these to the actual training um, because there's a high attrition rate, you know, and as with mm-hmm. the National Guard, we only train one weekend a month. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was in this training program mm-hmm. when one drill weekend, I tore my subscapulara, which then made me, uh, took me out of training abilities. So unfortunately, as life turned, you know, mm-hmm. it took me nine months to heal. It was, mm-hmm. was um, very painful, a lot of mm-hmm. depression. And, you know, I don't even mm-hmm. think I've really talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I just worked for. Mm-hmm. Because also what I didn't tell you last time is I wrote two appeals to the National Guard um, mm-hmm. and banged on a master sergeant's death with some spicy words that told him, let me in. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I told right. him. Um, you know, I told him I could outrun, out jump, and out shoot any of those those young um, kids he had coming in. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I look back at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. and had I not believed in myself, right, mm-hmm. and had this the commander not saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, who knows where my life would have been? But mm-hmm. you know, I. Got, you know, we got pulled, um, like I said, from the training. And when I came back to the commander after my shoulder was mm-hmm. better, um, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, sir, I'm ready to go to officer school now. And he said, nope, sorry, California's mm-hmm. out of money. You're over the age of 35. We're not sending you. Find a new military occupational specialty. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Right. I had gone through this whole journey for the last year and a half, almost two years, trying to get in the military, trying to find new skill sets and a new identity. And now mm-hmm. it's just shut down. Mm-hmm. So I told him, I said, sir, all right, how about military intelligence? I said, I love counter stuff. He said, nope, too long mm-hmm. and you're too old. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about um, finance? Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm a bank manager. Sounds like y'all need some help. I'm going to help you. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, give me one more. Mm-hmm. I looked at him. I said, who got a bodyguard for the chaplain? At that time, they were um, called chaplain assistants because in the military, mm-hmm. chaplains do not carry weapons. So mm-hmm. they had what they, for the army, they had a chaplain assistant assigned. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh. Great. I think the training's only six weeks. The chaplain's in. Let's go talk to the chaplain. That might be mm-hmm. an option. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I walked in 
in Sacramento to the National Guard headquarters thinking that I was just going to get a pamphlet in five minutes to talk to this chaplain. Mm-hmm. Because at five three and at that time one hundred and ten pounds, I was going to go be a bodyguard for the chaplain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the chaplain looked at me and said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." He said, "You wanted to be an officer. Mm-hmm. You love the Lord. Mm-hmm. You have strong faith." He said, "Have you ever thought about becoming a military chaplain?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "No." And in that Mm -hmm. one conversation, which lasted an hour and a half, my entire life changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I found a whole new career. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, like sometimes uh, I've had conversations and, you know, my, my mind just goes blank because like people have dealt with so much. People... Uh, I don't know where that sense of resilience comes from, comes for people. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, you sharing that and, you know, dealing with that kind of loss, um, you know, the economy sort of collapsing, um, you know, dealing with uh, a loss of relationship, um, you know, losing uh, a sibling. And, uh, you know, it... it it just feels devastating at times. Um, you know, looking back, like, what are some of the things that you did um, sort of helped you get through that time? And, like, you know, you know, what would your advice be for people who are kind of struggling uh, with, you know, similar circumstances on, you know, where to look next or what to do next? And, like, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I think it's so unique for each person, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, Mm -hmm. what I, and I'm so happy I did this because I have not always done this, but I reassessed my value system, right? Mm -hmm. And getting in a lot of um, Mm self-reflection, a lot of wisdom from people of faith and people and family members, um, I, although I didn't tell um, hardly anyone that I was going to join the military, what I did seek is um, support, right, mm-hmm. and conversation and talking through all of the loss and death and dying and, you know, being so far away from people. So mm-hmm. for me... And what it really boiled down to was two things when I started reconnecting to my value system was mm-hmm. me, me asking, what is my purpose in life and mm-hmm. what are my passions, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I remembered as this young girl growing up in Georgia, you know, I grew up on a beef cattle farm in a small southern town in Georgia and attended church regularly. I recalled mm-hmm. at the age of 12, two mm-hmm. things very clearly. One, I wanted mm-hmm. to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. So that's how I identified my purpose in the world, God's calling uh, of me. And number mm-hmm. two, my passion was sport. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so what I realized is saying yes chaplaincy military chaplaincy the first thing that um a chaplain said to me is well you know this is like mission work don't you mm-hmm. and i was like what? Mm-hmm. 
I'll mm-hmm. go, okay, check. <laughs> and then when I realized how physical, right, the military was, I knew I was home. I mm-hmm. loved, it was hard, don't get me wrong, you know, especially going in at 37 and mm-hmm. then uh, graduating, you know, advanced military police training at 38. Mm-hmm. What I found, though, is it felt home because it really uh, brought together my passion and my purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say for anyone going, what do I do next? You know, um, because mm-hmm. the struggle is real when you're dealing with mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when the pain is so great, mm-hmm. sometimes we'll do anything to not feel mm-hmm. it. Right. Right. And avoidance, you know, I talk about this a lot when I um, train with people and particularly when I was training with at the VA um, Mm -hmm. on mental health, you know, Mm -hmm. culturally, Mm -hmm. there are things that inform us how we should be in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can be based off of gender or family systems, age, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to fill in. Mm-hmm. But really drilling down to taking time to reflect, do a lot of self-reflection and getting back mm-hmm. to your core values mm-hmm. and then finding the peace in that. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. make a lot of my life decisions based off of where, where do I find peace? Mm-hmm. Now, I knew that I couldn't and probably shouldn't share that I was trying to join the military. And I didn't. I didn't tell a lot of people at all. I, I held that close. But mm-hmm. what I did do was I took mm-hmm. time to work out and prepare myself nine months in advance before I went to basic training. And I know mm-hmm. that that is how that I was able to get through. Mm-hmm. Um because I also knew, you know, my, my background in nutrition. And so I knew how to eat and I mm-hmm. had been an athlete all my life. And so mm-hmm. I knew how to train for it. Um, so I had to do my work. But mm-hmm. what I did differently also is I reconnected to God. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because that was so important to me, there were many times in my life I had been consistent and then there are other times when i pull away from god because it was just in my mind too much work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality was that god was always there and mm-hmm. and waiting for me to reconnect mm-hmm. yeah. definitely so I, um yeah um yeah i mean like i think um one other thing that we spoke about and i really want you to sort of talk a little bit about this um, is the sense of morality and uh, you know what happens when uh, there is an impact to the morality and you know there's a term called moral injury uh, that we spoke about and like mm-hmm. can you just share a little bit about like what that means and uh, you know what that means to you and like how can people sort of understand this term better as well yeah yeah, sure. So, yeah, moral injury is um, a term that was originally coined by Dr. Jonathan Shea, who had worked with Vietnam-era veterans. Mm-hmm. 
And I believe it was first coined in the 90s. And so he recognized, and I believe it was at the Boston DA, he recognized that beyond shell shock, which we now know is called PTSD, that there was something else going on with these veterans. Mm-hmm. And what he realized was that there's a moral conflict, right? Mm-hmm. A, a spiritual distress. Mm-hmm. And so the term has actually evolved um, a bit since, you know, since Dr. Jonathan Shea was working with the Vietnam era. And I think for me, the best way to explain this is, um, you know, it's a situation that violates um, the moral in in our high stakes situation, um, but not always in a high stakes situation. Um, the mm. context, you know, of death and dying and war was originally what it was um, coined out of. But you can see in the pandemic, right, mm-hmm. how moral injury is taking on different shapes and uh, mm-hmm. conversation. So it's kind of evolving. But the the core of it is really looking at, you know, what is it something that you've done or something mm-hmm. that you were ordered to do or mm-hmm. failed to do um, mm-hmm. or someone else has done or something that you've witnessed that goes mm-hmm. against your deeply held morals and values. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. The challenge I'm finding today, and I and when I talk publicly and I'm training on moral injury and I'm training on um, PTSD, because there are a lot of symptoms that um, one may have, you know, when they're dealing with a moral distress, you know, mm-hmm. but where is God in this, right? Mm-hmm. Or why, why did God let this happen? Maybe mm-hmm. some of the questions that are coming mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. but there's also um you know some of the symptoms can look like ptsd as well mm-hmm. so you know some of the overlapping symptoms may be anger mm-hmm. um anxiety you may mm-hmm. be experiencing addiction or depression mm-hmm. um, insomnia or nightmares mm-hmm. right so but when you really think about moral injury um the one the best thing to do is to get curious about mm-hmm. someone so you need to um to sit with and be with people in a non-judgmental way and that's really hard sometimes really when we're when we're seeing people suffering right or or we're suffering ourselves we just want out of it and want to move through it mm-hmm. but actually you know um getting in touch with those feelings mm-hmm. right uh, looking at the self-talk mm-hmm. um, and really analyzing that is so important because when I when I've often sat with veterans and mm-hmm. there's a moral distress or they want nothing to do with God or their religion, mm-hmm. but they'll express sometimes or, or a lot of times about forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I find it so fascinating when I ask someone, and it doesn't have to be a veteran, but in this case, because that's where a lot of my experience has been dealing with moral injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, why do you know you're supposed to forgive? 
right? You mm-hmm. know, you said this is important and you want to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes they'll go back to their family system and these lived experiences that they had as a child. Mm-hmm. Right? And that seems to be informing their value system. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you know, I, and the other aspect to to uh, today, the culture um, being so divisive um, in terms of yeah. people, uh, you know, looking at each other, uh, either it could be religion, it could be personal beliefs, um, you know, yeah. which are different and w- which cause people to sort of look at each other with so much contempt, right? And mm-hmm. since you you have had personal experience dealing with people from, you know, various uh, religions, various beliefs, various, uh, you know, cultures, you know, can you talk a little bit about like, how do you sort of perceive this? And like, how, how can we sort of look at ourselves as one society or like one community and, you know, deal with, you know, connecting better and, you know, mentally heal better as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for my own stuff, the best way I can explain this, Sanjay, is that I literally have lived a countercultural narratives, meaning that, you know, I was born in Georgia, grew up on a small farm um, in a very conservative culture. However, my mother was a visionary and very... Uh, pro-women, very independent, and believed that there was a greater calling for women as as well in the world. And so, um, you know, where I grew up, I was always in trouble at school. I was always told I was not acting like a lady or, mm-hmm. you know, how little girls should be or should act. And what's what I find ironic is you even see that in the news today, you know, you can look at where women supposedly are supposed to be in society, right? Mm-hmm. I think just this past week, you know, there was a, a very conservative denomination that has removed uh, a few women from their lead pastoral mm-hmm. role. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it goes back to knowing yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. I realize that identity, you know, how it's uh, defined by many social psychologists is about being in a social network, right? And Mm -hmm. who do people think you are? But at the core of that is a power dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so the, the best thing that I feel like do it, we can do as individuals is advocate for ourselves because many, many people are on the marginalized, right? And on the, on the edge. And there's mm-hmm. always a power dynamics at play. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd also say for me personally, my mm-hmm. identity was always tied back to who I, I know God has called me to be. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Not that other people's voices and opinions um, mm-hmm. don't matter, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, they're not as loud. It's who God has called me to be. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? 
yeah yeah it does yeah um and you know i i think this is something which is kind of contra- controversial as well like uh, you know mm-hmm. pe- people are becoming you know more uh, you know averse to religion and you know people are becoming mm-hmm. more averse to faith and people are becoming mm-hmm. more averse to um, uh, you know uh, treating an entity which they want to sort of believe in um uh, and you know that that has sort of caused a lot of rife a lot of you know a struggle in terms of people needing support needing uh, that kind of uh, you know feeling of being held right um and you know this is a luxury that sort of comes for people with faith and like you know yeah. i just wanted to understand like from your perspective like if people want to sort of believe in something and at the same time not sort of assign all the power to sort of one entity like what mm-hmm. is your sort of advice you know advice for them as well so yeah 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 and that, you know it is it's 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 disheartening and sad to see um the division right that mm-hmm. that we have in the world not just in american but we have in the world but i'm an optimist and i believe in the power of people's stories and people mm-hmm. being with each other right cuz at the core of mm-hmm. um people's stories or the is the human connection right mm-hmm. and so um that is where i would say start tell me mm-hmm. your story you know mm-hmm. can you imagine if you can imagine if you're an individual that's struggling right mm-hmm. with mental health or any you know grief or loss or you know death dying can you imagine mm-hmm. a better time for yourself and mm-hmm. if you can um, embark uh, on imagining your life better that's a great starting point because mm-hmm. in the midst of that it's hope mm-hmm. right And so to your point if you're someone who doesn't believe in God or a higher power well tell me what makes you feel connected to the world mm-hmm. right when's the last time that you saw yourself thriving mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are some of the questions you know if i'm sitting with someone and um is like getting to know them and trying to help them um from mm-hmm. a, you know a clinical chaplain perspective tell mm-hmm. me about where you see yourself if there was nothing in your way and you know, all this stuff you know the the bad stuff that that you're dealing with if that had all gone away right it's the mm-hmm. miracle question you wake up the next day mm-hmm. and life was just as you had hoped it had been Mm-hmm. what would mm-hmm. that look like right and, right yeah so once you can start hoping and dreaming and imagining what's well, at the starting point mm-hmm. right then you have we can put tangible things to help you overcome you know the men- mental health and it's not easy it's not easy mm-hmm. at all mhm mhm definitely um you know one thing that i'm trying to do to be inclusive is to get different perspectives on what do people do um when when they feel that sense of anxiousness or anxiety or overwhelm you know something that you say to yourself 
or something that you know you practice uh, on a daily basis so so that way you know um, people can learn from from you as well and like feel better in in those moments of uh, uh, you know not feeling that calm as well yeah 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 that that is so important so when i think it's you know you the starting point is where are you? you are where you are and it's okay to be where you are mm -hmm. so in other words embracing where you are and then learning to connect that feeling because mm -hmm. um you know don't push it away but embrace it go through it you know and connecting that feeling to um the incident or multiple mm -hmm. incidents you know what is it you're dealing with and so, you know, are you feeling betrayal? Because, you know, moral injury a lot of times um, has a level of betrayal. And I didn't really talk about that. But, you know, it could be someone in power, you know, or mm -hmm. someone in the clergy that's really hurt you in some, you know, a way. Um, mm -hmm. The anxiety, what's the, yeah. what is that about? What's, you know, is there a fear right mm -hmm. or feeling overwhelmed um mm -hmm. what is mm -hmm. it that you're feeling overwhelmed about i think being able to start and connect to those feelings and then learning the language so one of the things then i did not talk about is that it took me a while to mm -hmm. work through my own mental health issues and still to this day um mm -hmm. I didn't have the language because I didn't grow up communicating in feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So being able to understand both the negative and positive emotions mm -hmm. um, was important mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you know, if you say I'm sad, well, everybody has felt sad. Right, or if you say I'm happy, right? Everybody has at least experienced something about happy, so you can connect to these feelings. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then learning um, to really um, analyze your self-talk, right? Mm -hmm. And what is it you're telling yourself? Because we're all telling ourselves something. What mm -hmm. I learned through my own different degrees of feeling anxiety and fear is that for me personally i wasn't feeling safe mm -hmm. uh, but i didn't understand that because for me personally that meant something different than someone who sticks one right and has a different stature and a different lived experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. definitely yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think having that vocabulary, understanding what that vocabulary means, developing that vocabulary so that, you know, you are able to um, uh, acknowledge that, you know, you're feeling something or you're dealing with something. And then on the other hand, also sort of um, looking inwards as to, you know, what are some of those things which are sort of connecting uh, when you feel certain feelings or emotions and what is that sense of fear that is, you know, creeping up, um, definitely mm -hmm. great uh, pointers. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, the 
few conversations that i've had where um you know i i ask people not to summarize because uh, you know that the entire conversation can be a summary of sorts and you know that there is so much to learn from from you know everything that you've said and you know i and i know we can talk about uh, for this uh, aspect for hours uh, but you know what are uh, some things that uh you know people who are sort of le- dealing in in sense of that crisis uh you know maybe if you have specific resources that you want to mention uh you know please feel free to let the listeners know as well uh but otherwise the conversation has been great and you know i definitely want to thank you for your time yeah Oh yeah, thank you Sanjay. Yeah, and thank you for allowing me to speak on such a, a important topic, but something I'm so passionate about that mm-hmm. um not only from helping, you know, veterans and individuals in my community but having gone through it myself, right? So, um mm-hmm. I would say some of the best resources are depending on your learning style and what you really connect with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of great books out there. Um I know when I was um going through my clinical pastoral training program at mm-hmm. the uh Baylor Scott and White in Dallas and then at the VA hospital in Dallas. um mm-hmm. there were a lot of great readings and one of the uh best readings uh, that I think is by Brené Brown um mm-hmm. you know she is a licensed uh, social worker and she's done a lot of stuff on grief and shame and guilt and she has a book that's called Rising Strong and it's mm-hmm. called The Reckoning the Rumble and the Revolution um mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know it it's just all of her books are really great she has podcast um mm-hmm. there there are a lot of other great books and I, I apologize I don't have them in front of me but um mm-hmm. you know after the what is it that you connect to so one of the things i do like in the mornings when i'm walking um and walking with the neighbor's dog i listen to a podcast i listen to a different type of podcast sometimes i'm listening to something that self helps sometimes i'm listening to something spiritual sometimes mm-hmm. i'm listening to high tech you know out of silicon valley and you know understanding where i am at that day my mm-hmm. self help and best practices um encompass many many different things from mm-hmm. uh, a good cup of coffee to a good conversation to mm-hmm. getting a good night's sleep it's drinking enough water um mm-hmm. balance you know advocating for myself like this you know when i saw mm-hmm. your advertisement on linkedin i'm like i'm going to advocate for myself and that's kind of what i feel this is right um mm-hmm. embracing your feelings mm-hmm. you know we talked about that a little earlier but also probably one that we don't talk about enough is having self compassion mhm right? mm-hmm. if you can get up each day and mm-hmm. have a win right mm-hmm. each day mm-hmm. you're going to win for the week you're going to win for the month and the year and you're moving mm-hmm. forward uh, mm-hmm. exercise is so important mm-hmm. um and just really asking for help mhm right. definitely definitely yeah um thank you again and uh, i'm sure a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of things will appreciate all your advice and uh, all your insight 
uh, it it genuinely has been a pleasure and uh, the conversation just flowed and the time i just didn't realize how the time went by so thank you again for your time yeah thank you i've enjoyed it yeah take care